Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. If you're new to the show, my name is Walt, and I am your host. And today we're going to be talking about an African safari. I am beyond jacked to have had the opportunity to speak to this episode, this week's guest and discuss his bow hunting adventures in Africa. Um, it was an incredible conversation. We're going to do a part two very shortly and cover the other the other half of the trip that we weren't able to capture in the time that we had the when we recorded this. But before we get to that, we need to thank the title sponsor of this podcast, Wild Edge Inc. You've heard me talk about them before. I use a set of eight of the steps to climb all my trees. I'll be using it in conjunction with a saddle harness this year. There's a little teaser for you for what's coming this fall. And uh, if you use the promo code ChasingTales10, that's ChasingTales, T-A-L-E-S, 10, that'll get you $15 off a set of steps, which means you can get the pack of eight with a bag for about 100 bucks, 110 bucks. It's a great deal, and I encourage you to take the time and uh, go check out what he's got on his website, www.wildedgeinc.com. If you listened last week, you also know that I started a Patreon account for people who wanted to contribute to the show. And since then, I've added a couple, uh, I've tweaked the tiers just a little bit and I've added some goodies. So be sure to go and see what uh, I'll send you as a thank you for uh, being a supporter of the show. And I'm going to feature one of the newest Patreons, give everybody a shout out as we uh, every week. This week's Patreon is Sean Clarkson. Sean, you have been a supporter of the show for a long time. You've helped me work out some of the kinks of the show. And re- most recently, he sent me that beautiful bear recurve. And I just want to say thank you, Sean, for everything you've done to support 
the Chase and Tails podcast, my bow hunting addiction. It's been great to have your support all along. I'm also going to do something different this week. I'm going to feature a review. As the new reviews come in, I'm going to feature them so you have the chance to be to hear your name come across the audio waves. This week's review is a five-star review from Aftershock95. He says, what a great podcast. It's like sitting around a fire, drinking beer, and talking to friends. You all keep up the good work. Aftershock95, I really appreciate your support, buddy. It means the world to me that you take the time out of your day to throw a five-star review in iTunes. And uh, if you are listening, if you'll send me your address, I will send you a decal out with all the other decals that are going out out of the next run. So uh, thank you to Sean. Thank you to Aftershock95. What do y'all say we go ahead and get on with the show? Y'all stay tuned. Well, y'all, we're back, and I am very excited for uh, this week's episode. I know I say that every week, but I I hope y'all know by now, if you've been listening for any duration, that uh, I get excited every week because I enjoy talking to people all over the world and who have experienced things from all over the world, and this week is no exception to that. Before I tell you who this is, let me let you know that uh, I've been following this fellow since about 2007, 2006, somewhere in that timeline. And uh, this gentleman is a wealth of knowledge. He has always gone above and beyond to put that information out there. I I originally met him on the Georgia Outdoor Network Forum, Woody's Forum. And uh, I I have learned much of my archery. I was self-taught, as I've said before, a lot of this. But uh, self-taught is kind of a a prideful statement. I've learned a lot from tonight's guest. On the line, I have got Derek Still. Buddy, thank you so much for taking time out your evening to talk to us. You're quite welcome. I, Glad uh, to be here. Well, <clears throat> I, I, I'm glad I ran into you on Facebook because I, I, I have uh, communicated directly with you and, and, and uh, through direct messages and then through comments and replies. And you've helped me with a, a variety of topics and, and shortened the learning curve on a lot of things. I think my one of my first – you also do videos, and one of the first videos I remember – is uh i think you were hunting on a golf course for whitetail yeah yeah we, <laughs> we hunt a couple of local golf courses yeah uh and and some we have to travel to or you know back then we were having to travel to a couple of them but uh we found a few that are that are here around town now and, and that uh that helps on a lot of different fronts it helps keep uh keep the population in check and helps keep the uh, course owners and uh, the greens keepers very happy uh, without as many feet out there tearing up the greens <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and I'm sure it helps with the landscaping bill as well because that th- those deer will put it to just about anything you plant in some of those areas. Oh yeah, they love that fertilized ryegrass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Derek, why don't you uh, take a moment and kind of tell everybody who you are and maybe your brief hunting history of where you're from? Well, I, it's probably my hunting history started. You talk about being self-taught. Um, my my dad would always take me fishing and hunting, but he was never, you know, everybody's pursuing their career and he just wasn't really that good at it, to be honest. And, and I started, I loved it. I always loved being outside and doing all this stuff. And I killed, you know, my first deer in I think 87. So it hasn't been that long ago. I was, you know, close to 20 um, by the time I did that. And I did it out in Texas. I was out there in the air force and, immediately like the next year i started like 
hanging out with some guys and seeing this archery stuff. And I was like, you know, that's something I want to do. So it's, you go through all that stuff where you, you, you try to kill deer with many methods that you can. And then I think, I think I've progressed right along that same typical timeline. And, you know, I killed my deer. My, I think the first deer, first deer hunt I ever had in Texas, the day I hunted, I missed three deer the very first day. So it, it was very humbling. Um, and I think it was, uh, that next year that I actually killed uh, a hill country doe right outside of San Antonio. And it was stuck to me, you know, since 88, I guess it's been 30 years this year. And it's, it's just been a heck of a ride. And, and I, like you, I, I got tired of guys that didn't really know as much as I did working on my bow and stuff and just started doing it myself. And I've, I've learned a lot and made some mistakes and kind of progressed. And once you get in a rut, you still tend to keep doing uh, those things uh, until you find an improvement and that's i haven't been ashamed to move along with technology or move along uh, with with equipment to make myself a better hunter and that's taking that big step and you're going to probably hear that later on as we go taking those steps as an individual or as as an outdoorsman is something that if you don't take those steps you, you're going to be standing in very old age and not have done a whole lot (laughs) (laughs) that's a hell of a teaser for today's topic i I don't i don't believe i've told anybody what it is but you know i just want to remark that there's nothing worse than a bow tech that doesn't know what they're doing (laughs) (laughs) i just it's just it's a bad thing so i i hear you i didn't know that i didn't know that you spent a lot of time out in texas my my sister spent uh, a fair amount of time out there uh, for the Air Force herself and in boot camp, mm-hmm. and now she's up in Alaska. So that's oh wow, that's kind of that's kind of near on my my bucket list of things I might be able to check off, being that I've got uh, free room and board up in Alaska now. Oh yeah, you definitely need to do that. <laughs> well, uh, today we are checking off uh, vicariously through you a bucket list item that i have dreamed of and uh, absolutely at some point in time will accomplish myself and that is you hunted another continent altogether you hunted africa with your bow and that to me we, we talked before we started recording that to me has been on my bucket list since i was reading rurik and um hemingway on hunting horn of the hunter by rurik I just, I have uh, sat at my desk countless times fantasizing of what it must be like to be over there, and you did it. Yeah, yeah, it was one of those experiences that uh, I wish I could share the essence of it with with everybody. And, you know, all we have is the spoken word or the written word right now, but it was it was something that I wished I had done 20 years ago. I don't know if I would have been ready for it 20 years ago. But I wish I had done it sooner. I just put it that way. Yeah, and, and I think that's going to be interesting, um, your perspective on that a little long down in the podcast. But before we get to that, since this is such a, a foreign topic, you know, we live in America, the, the great the great country of big whitetails. And, and obviously anybody who's in the outdoor realm uh, knows that, that, that the whitetail is, is obviously the most popular big game animal in America. But I, the two things don't translate very well, I suspect. So let's kind of tee this up a little bit. And, and what I'd like to do is is kind of 
pick your brain as to what the planning process looks like to go to Africa and, and maybe some tips that you might be able to share with us for those who listen to this podcast and decide that they're going to make it happen on their own. Do you have a particular spot you'd like to start or I can, I, I can certainly uh, start that conversation myself. Yeah. Let me just tee it up and, and just, and just go and, and just feel free to interrupt and, and get me back on track. Cause I will wander a little bit. Um, the, the one thing that you, it was as much as I plan things and I plan things, I'm on Google earth, I'm on MapQuest, uh, or MapQuest is old, but I use Google for stuff now, but, but, uh, you know, I, I'm finding out routes. I'm, I'm looking at places to stay. I'm looking at, at hotels and management areas on, on X maps and things like that. We go to Wyoming every single year. Um, just about, uh, Wyoming, Idaho, we're, we're doing something all the time. And, it's nothing for me to plan a trip. That's that's uh, I, I plan those things all the time. But this was something that even I was a little tentative about. And I can see it can be overwhelming after going through it. As prepared as I was, there still were times where we had to check, you know, dodge Perry a little bit and, and get the train back on the tracks and keep it moving. Um, so the, the absolute number one thing is to to realize that something at some point in the trip is going to go wrong. So you address that first and foremost by understanding that this is a trip. This is a, for a lot of people, it's once in a lifetime, but people that go will generally go back. It's, it's that addictive and, and, and that much of a, of a, of a, just a, an essence of doing everything uh, to actually go and, and experience it. So a positive attitude is the most quintessential thing you can have, in your bag of tricks and knowing a good outfitter to go to. So many times I hear stories about people putting deposits and they fly, they get off the plane and there's no outfitter to pick them up. Where did this person go? Really? Where's my, where's my money? Oh yes. Yes. Um, unfortunately there are, you know, less than, less than honest people out there. Sure. So word of mouth and, you know, I, I went this on this trip. I went with J Max, uh, J Maxwell out of, out of Monroe, Georgia. And Jay had, had gone the year before. And so he was, he was the contact. He was a conduit to, to make it, to put my mind at ease and to know that we were going to be taken care of. Um, and it just couldn't have been any better because we, we got first, the, the first thing to do is to set dates with the outfitter. You, you set dates and you apply whatever deposit and the, you know, I understand that when you, when you're paying a deposit, it could be a grand or more. That's a lot of money for people, but it eases the bill at the end of the story. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you got to look at it like a deposit is a, is a good thing. Right. Cause it's, it, it's ensuring your, your spot number one, and it's easing the, the final bill. Um, and once you get that, um, yeah, I was looking at, um, at the normal search engines for travel fare and whatnot. Sure. And Jay came up with, um, and this is a gratuitous plug here, but um, he came up with that uh, first business flights. I'd never heard of them before, but they're based out of California. And go figure there. And they had the best rates going. I mean, they were 500, 600 bucks cheaper than anywhere wow. else I could find. Yeah. So that's, you know what that is, that equated to another animal, you see. 
So your say your say it's like it's like reloading bullets. You don't get to shoot more. You you don't get to save money. You just get to shoot more. So it, you're not really saving that. I've never bucks, heard that said can, before, but that's awesome. You, you can apply it towards you know towards something else. Um, you know towards a side trip or towards another animal or you know towards your tips. Uh, any of those things. So getting that getting that airfare and making sure that everybody in the you know in the group has got the same flight numbers. Um, and, you know, meeting up to, to go and, and, um, and just be ready, just have that positive attitude. Cause it's a 15 hour flight. You really have to set your mind up for, for that. Um, longest, longest flight I've ever, ever been on. I think it's the fourth or fifth longest flight, uh, that's scheduled now. And it's, uh, it's a doozy, but I wouldn't do it any other way. I wouldn't do it where you had to go through London Heathrow or, or something like that to go up through Europe and come down. No, no, no. Just get me on there. And you have to break it up. I mean, you just have to have to break it up. Watch movies for a little bit. Listen to music a little bit. Study. Get up. Walk around. You know, don't don't sit there for you get develop blood clots and all that stuff in your legs. You got to keep keep active. But, Down, um, download the Chasing Tales podcast. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, and, and yeah, I do that. I do that just going out west. You know, I'll I'll throw throw half a dozen, six or eight podcasts on and, and listen. You know, while you're on the plane, once you get up to altitude and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, it, it helps um, helps break that up. But you know, going over the flight arrives. You know, the, the flight we took the straight one from Atlanta, and there's there's direct from. Uh, from JFK, I believe, Newark, somewhere along, along there. But the, the, the one we had from Atlanta, it arrives at uh, about 5 p.m. So it's it's dark. It's dark when you leave. It's dark when you get there. So you, there are no flights that leave out from there to go. If you're going to go to Limpopo, if you're going to go down to the to the Eastern Cape where we were, there's no flights that are leaving out that time of night. So you have to you have to stay over in Joburg. So we stayed at um, at a hotel right there by the airport. We actually had to take a shuttle. There's there are, is a hotel in the airport, so you can you don't even have to go outside the airport. You just go to that hotel and stay, or you can go to some right across the street, take a little shuttle to get over there, um, and that gets you a good night's sleep. You get up the next day back to the airport, and then make your connecting flights from there. And so then, then you're arriving, you know, then, then you're arriving in camp and that's really when the magic starts. Uh, when you start looking around you and you know, they drive on the left-hand side of the road, got a right-hand drive cars. Um, the roads will make you appreciate any, any road in the States, buddy. I'll tell you, it's, 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 they're rough, uh, dirt roads with I mean, boulders and stuff in them. I mean, it's like, we cut down, I think, I think the group cut down three or four tires while we were there. Um, really? Yeah, knocking holes. In, and I, these are big, like big BF Goodriches that they run on these little Land Cruiser Toyotas. Um, so every everybody's got a quad cab Toyota Land Cruiser uh, or, or very similar little Nissan or Toyota. And um, they, they're rough, rough and tough. Some diesel, some gas, but they're uh, they're rough and tough little trucks. But they, they get you just about anywhere. Um, and... You know, then you get paired up with your pH. Now, I I was very fortunate. Um, I think the I think Frank and I had the the pHs with the most bow hunting experience, and 
that really paid dividends. It, having a pH that, and you know, we call people guides over here. Well, they're, I mean, they really do it right. They, they're professional hunters. They, it's their job to keep you safe, to put game in front of you, and to educate you so that you can make the best shots you can make, respect the game. That was a big, a big thing over there. You know, they, they respect their animals. They want you to make a good shot, but there were, you know, through the week, there were a few shots that didn't quite hit their mark, but these guys do everything they could do to get your animal. Once you, you know, they give you the opportunity. And if you, if you squander it and you still hit it, well, you, I mean, hate to say it, but you just bought it and they're going to do everything they can to help you get those animals. And that, that, that was a whole nother level of dedication. Um, I mean, we have blood tracking dogs here. I mean, I run mine some during deer season, other, other guys I know track. And that's, that's to get the hunter their animal. Uh, over there, they, they take it to a whole nother level. So I learned a lot from those guys too. <laughs> do you, real quick, do, why do you think they take it? Do you think it's because it's, it's such a finite resource over there that they don't take it for granted? And that's where the dedication to recover it comes from? No, it's 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 from a sense of uh, of doing the right thing by the animal and doing the right thing, doing the best thing they can by the hunter. And see, you that's know, I, that, that's interesting to me because, you know, God, I almost don't even want to scratch this this the surface of this topic, but I'm going to. The, there's there's this connotation that everybody that goes over there is is just there to whack and stack and there's like kind of this bloodthirsty if if you listen to the mainstream media yeah and, yeah but what you're saying seems to fly directly in the face of that and and I always thought it was the case but it's interesting to hear you say that you know they take it to to that next level of dedication they do and what you have to understand is that the it's it's their resource the animals are the South Africans resource okay now I don't know how they do it in any of the other countries but I know that they take pride in their resources, and you know that is their source of income. So they don't squander it. It's it's a it's a precious thing to them. It's how they the the, the industry. And I mean, we have we have class system here in the states, and there's lower class and middle class and upper class over there. It's it's starkly different in the lower class and the upper class, starkly different, and and it will make you appreciate everything that we have here in the states, every opportunity we have, every you know every soft chair you sit in, every glass of iced tea that you drink, it, it makes you appreciate being here just by traveling there and seeing what the most most of the the, the lower income, the, the guys that are doing your skinning and your tracking, they they have a job. There's a lot of unemployment. They have a job, and they are able to provide for their themselves and their family. That's not the case with a, with a lot of folks over there. So it, it's it's a precious thing, and we bring a lot of. And that, that was one of the things. You know, your your pH is going to be able not only to tell you things about about the animals, and, and that's and that's why you're there, but also things in uh, uh, you know on the topic of tipping you know you're going to want to tip your house staff uh, you know ones that are doing your laundry the uh, the ladies that are cleaning up ones that are preparing the food uh, and your and your tracker and that 
pH is going to be able to tell you what is appropriate. Because if you go, I mean, there, there are people here who could drop down, you know, a grand to their tracker. Boom, here you go. You know, appreciate your help for the week. But that's that's inappropriate amount of money for, for them and their income level. You, you know what I mean? Not that you, you don't want to show your appreciation, but if you if you over the top tip, you're not only setting the next guy up for failure, but you're also putting somebody with an amount of money that they could die. They could be killed over if it if it was found out if you did that in front of another tracker, the wrong one. That could cost that man his life, the amount of money that you give. I mean, it, it's that serious over there. Well, and and that's interesting because you you mentioned when we discussed earlier that you know you come with with tips. Uh, do you come bearing gifts as well? I mean, is there a, a way to compensate for not being able to drop a grand? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they appreciate everything. And like I said, my, my pH was a bow hunter. Um, I came home without a bow. Um, really? So, oh, yeah, yeah. Out of bow case, uh, just not a bow in it. Um, so wow. <laughs> my bow will stay over there and and hunt Africa for as long for its lifetime, I'm sure it'll never make it back to the states. Um, that, that's, that's too cool. But that was that's not the first time I've I've done that. I mean, I've been in the position to where I could do that in the past, um, and I always give them a give them an option. You know, you can take money or you can take this. And he, when I said that, he, I said you don't have to tell me now. Just you know, later on, just let me know what you want to do. And a bow like that would cost two grand. You know, a top shelf bow is going to be two grand by the time it's about a 50% or 100%. Um, wow. Markup. Mark, markup and, and shipping and all of that stuff over there. Yeah. Holy cow. So he was probably, he probably didn't even think twice about that offer, did he? Yeah. But the things like broadheads, you know, good quality broadheads, uh, um, most of them are going to have range finders and, and things of that nature, but a trail camera or a bush pig hunting is really big up there. So they like the, uh, like the uh, elusive wildlife and kill lights or the Moultrie feeders with the lights under the bottom. And you can just take the, the spinners. Um, they, they like all of those things as well. So anything that you can take, you know, I, I left flashlights with my tracker and with my pH. Um, I left uh, trail cameras, broadheads, you know, just stuff you, they're going to, they'll be used so much better over there, you know, than, than taking a space in your suitcase coming home. <laughs> You know, it's it's interesting to take us back to the beginning of that. You talked about the the income or the lack thereof in that area, and, and how it stimulates that economy. Do you how how much of a role in the conservation of those animals does your presence or or people coming to hunt those animals play in in, in the area you were in? If there was no value on those animals, there there would be a lot of landscape and no ungulates to trot upon them. It's just it. You you just know there. I mean, like you said, I you hate to even get into into some of this, but sure. I just I have to. You can cut me if you need to. No, it's okay. But, Go ahead. Uh, my blue wildebeest that I shot, as the trackers were skinning and cleaning the wildebeest, I went to the farm manager to express my appreciation. And uh, to thank him, you know, to be a, a gracious uh, hunter and, and do those types of things. And when, when we were done with our conversation, we came back to, to collect the hide. And a lot of those the places, the, 
the managers or the landowners, they use the meat for their for their own families or their own staff, or they have an option of, of selling it uh, to a local market to, you know, pay the pay the help. So the meat all goes to use and they can use it for a variety of reasons. OK, uh, but as we were getting in the truck to leave, I looked over and a few of the trackers had the stomach of my wildebeest over by a trash can and they had it on a piece of plywood and they had cut the stomach open and they were taking the contents out. They were removing the grass from it. Okay. And I asked my PH, I said, I said, Dave, well, what are they doing? He said, they're cleaning the stomach. I said, yeah, but why? He said, well, they're going to eat it. And I'm like, what? Yeah, they're going to eat, they're going to eat the stomach because he said they don't get protein. And that was another reason that, you know, I shot my primate. So I found out that, that my tracker, Eric, um, he said, I, I like the monkeys. I said, you like the monkeys? Oh, yeah. I said, well, you just hold my hat and then I'll get you some. And so he ate all the monkeys and the baboon that I, that I shot. Those, I provided that to, directly to him and his family. So even you're doing some pest riddance, some pest control, uh, and at the same time, giving, giving this man and his family some much-deserved protein. That is so surreal. I cannot, I've been sitting here listening to you trying to figure out how to respond to such a statement. I mean, to consider the fact that you being there is providing food, it's providing a job, and it's the only thing standing between those animals and their existence on the landscape. And and there's such an effort to confuse the general public on that. That's got to be, having been there and experiencing it, that's got to be agonizing to, to, to hear and witness. Yeah, and let's face it, the only reason that that um, certain animals draw the ire of of the masses at times is because they're they're pretty or those humans have attached feelings to these animals and they're they're trying to justify it in some way uh, to, to make it seem improper for us to utilize the resources. Yeah they they, they, they pitch it as a as a exploitation of that of that resource and in reality you you remove you and there's nothing to exploit i mean that it's i don't know you know i, I try not to get on these kind of topics but i, I think yeah, that yeah. this is the ultimate uh testament to to the conservation model that we preach on a routine basis in now, this country i i am sure that there there are places that you could go that would be less than less than what I would consider to be fair chase and people would go and, and for any amount of money, you could shoot anything that you wanted to, you know, that's not the kind of place that we went. Sure. We went to, we went to game farms, but on, you know, like I was, I, we'd started early before we started recording. The there's one farm that I went to, we drove in the truck for 30 or 35 minutes to get to a place to glass. And once we glassed animals at, six or 800 yards that's further than that we were we were 600 from the water hole they were another three so eight or nine hundred thousand yards away we're glassing these animals they head to one of them headed to the water hole we beat feed it through the bush and sneak up 
pop over the dam 37 yards. There's my Nyala sitting there. Um, and you know, I had, I had my shot. That's, that's, <laughs> that's cool, man. That, that is, are, are those water sources created also by the people there? Are they, are they, do they create water sources for those animals? Some, some are, there was one, one natural water hole that I, that I went over, I hunted over that was a, a concrete, basically a little concrete pool. It was about 10 feet across. Um, but, uh, these are just, these, this was a natural, uh, and, and evident, I mean, there were, evidently they had a good bit of rain because there were, there were quite a few ponds around. I mean, we'd call them a little pond or a little stock pond or something there, less than a quarter of an acre. Um, but it is, it's holding water, and uh, the animals are free to go to any of them that are, that are around. Um, and I didn't realize just how many were around until I got on Google Earth when I, I found every, every blind, every water hole that I sat. I've already pinpointed it on Google Earth, know exactly where I was, how big the piece of property was. Um, all of that stuff, and it was it's some big country <laughs> and big mountains. <laughs> you wouldn't think of Africa as being mountainous, but there were there were some some pretty big hills there. Really, is that oh, something? Yeah. Is that something that you would recommend people to prepare for uh, in going to an African it, hunt? It, you know, I've I've heard of other places. If you go Limpopo or up to the Zim, that it's uh, a lot of you know sand, deep sand, and it it'll get you like you know walking on the beach does for the first few days if you take a beach vacation um but it was it was nothing i mean we do wyoming every year and it was this was very similar to that you can you could walk and stalk the truck was the truck was always pretty close by we i guess i guess we could walk two or three miles at a clip um just well, go off terrible. on a little no it, it wasn't it wasn't bad and you have some hills to pull but you know it's it's hunting, you know. Be, be in decent <laughs> shape. The better, you know. You can do it if you're if you're out of shape as a you know as a cab driver, I guess. You know, but the better shape you're in, the more you're going to be able to do, and the better you're going to enjoy yourself. That's awesome, man. I'm just I'm early. well. You know what? Let's do this. I think we've we've hammered a lot of peripheral topics, or well, maybe not so much peripheral as so much as we've set the stage for an awesome story. And 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 I've got to I got to admit to you i've got a question for you right off the bat and that is at what point did you get giddy and maybe this is just me and maybe i'm the only person that gets giddy but whenever i arrive in a new location for a new adventure that i haven't been to before i i get amped i get really excited for what's to come did did that happen for you and at what point did it happen no mine's all beforehand okay um the the flight over was absolutely nerve-wracking really my mind oh my mind's just because there's nothing to do there's just sitting on the plane watching a movie listening to music you know blah 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 (laughs) nothing to really occupy you once once i'm there and i'm doing something everything goes away so it's yeah I, i work i work a little bit different uh going and traveling and you know i've been on the and that was the, the one thing. My PH, we had we had several real frank conversations, and everybody's different. And you need to be as honest as you can with your PH. I told him, I said, "Look, I've I've done this before, not here, but I've done the you know the whole guiding thing. I understand. I've guided people myself. I understand what you're going through. 
I said, but you put more pressure on yourself than I ever will put on you. I said, let's just go hunt this week. And whatever happens, happens. I said, we have a list, but I do not live and die by the list. These are things I would like to do. I didn't do everything I would like to do. I, that, that gets you back for the next time. You know? Yeah, <laughs> you, exactly. You can't, if you do everything the first time, there's nothing to do the second time. So have a list. It's good to have a list. It's good to know what animals, know what they look like, um, know what their habits are, know where their vitals are, know as much about them as you can. Which are browsers? Which are grazers? You know, know your quarry, but you have to go and just sometimes take what Africa gives you. Sure. Well, so let's let's talk about that a little further. And what what I, what animals were on your list, and how did you prepare being stateside uh, to go after those animals and pursue them? Probably the one that has always crept into my mind and I've been looking for several years now, just kind of sizing them up and, and doing things. But the one recurring thing, the one recurring animal that kept popping in my mind is a Nyala. I already spoke, spoke about him a little bit, but N-Y-A-L-A, Nyala, they are an absolutely beautiful spiral horn, medium size, three to 400 pound animal, um, they have horns that, that spiral up. They form a nice little bell shape, usually with ivory tips on them. And the horns can be up to about 28, 29 inches. Um, and it's just a beautiful, they have a nice big thick mane that hangs down. The lower portions of their legs are, are a, a, a bright orangey color. And they're just an absolutely beautiful beautiful animal white chevrons on their nose dots on the side of their face horizontal or uh, vertical stripes down their body dots on their rear end i mean it's just you know you got to google that one of those images up and, and look at yeah. one of them because it's just did absolutely you, did you beautiful. harvest one yes oh okay. yes i'll go to your photos while you're talking and, and and pull it up there was there was that um there was uh, of course a warthog you know, a warthog is kind of like a symbol of Africa. You, that's, that's something. If you shoot a warthog and you got a picture of a warthog, people know exactly. They yeah. don't have to ask. <laughs> they just know where you were. That's you it. Know? Um, I asked my daughter if there was anything that, that she wanted, and she told me she wanted a zebra rug. So that animal has probably gotten me more static and more flack from people than, than anything else because people think of them as a horse. And they're not a they're not a horse they're not even a small pony you know they're a short very broad chested and firm i mean when you touch a zebra you don't there's no skin on them there's just massive muscle everywhere you touch um it, it's it's amazing it's amazing to touch one and and to because i've been around horses my whole life and they look like a horse they, they have some features. Their hooves are very similar to a horse, but they are built for endurance and speed. And they're, they were just, a, it was awesome. It was the most, and you know, that was, that gets into my area. I asked about the errors later on, but cause you, you got to have some muscle to shoot through some, or some horsepower to shoot through some muscle like that. Um, but you know, going on to the zebra, um, I had plans on taking a, an Oryx or a Gimsbuck, um, 
that didn't pan out. Um, I had opportunity, but I, after talking with the pH a little bit, I just didn't have room. It's, it's, it would be like shooting, um, an inch and a half spur, 12 inch long beard, Eastern Turkey <laughs> and doing a fan feet and beard. You know, you have to mount something like that, you know, right. and, and to shoot a Gimsbach and just do a Euro and, and soft tan the hide is not justice for that animal. So I, I didn't do that. Um, and, and I just chose not to, not to take one because I don't have, I just don't have a place to put him, honestly. Um, so I got told, I got chastised a lot because this being a sorry excuse, but it was my excuse and I stuck with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but after that, it was, um, uh, after the zebra, uh, kudu was on the, on the menu. Um, they have a lot of kudu in the Eastern Cape, a lot. And it, they're, they're a size of an, they're a size of a small elk. Um, they're profile wise. You're looking at them broadside. They're, they're as big as an elk, but they're not as thick. So, you know, it, it doesn't take as much to get through them, but they're still got some relatively heavy bone, uh, in there. Um, so you, you've got, you had those, um, let me see the baboon, uh, the vervet monkey, which has some interesting, uh, colorations on on them uh, well and let, uh, let's do this I, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm curious you spoke very fondly of two of two of them um, the first first being the Inyala, which was was the 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 apex and uh, that was the the prime target correct right right okay mm-hmm. and then the the zebra you had some you had it, it has a good story with it I'm sure and also you you had uh, a conversation piece regarding the arrows so what because we we'd be on the we'd be on this podcast for hours if we talked about each of them so <laughs> and, and i'd be okay with that but my wife probably would not um she's being kind enough to, to puppy sit uh our new little boykin spaniel but so let's let's discuss why don't you tell the story of the inyala and when you're done with that, we'll move to the zebra because I'm curious what you did for an arrow. I'm moving to traditional archery, so I'm working with changing my mindset on how you build an arrow. So let's do that if you don't mind. Let's start okay. with the Inyala. All right. Well, the Inyala, like I said, we, we drove on this ranch for about you know, 30, 35 minutes. We get to a spot. We get out and we start, start glassing, and we're – we're on a, there are two parallel ridges that are running for, you know, I don't know, a, a mile, just big ridges. And down in the, in the valley, there was a water source down there. There was a water hole. And as we're there looking, we see kudu and we were going to just run down and, and get in the water hole, get in the blind on the water hole and sit there that day because they were having bush buck and, uh, nyala and, and quite a, a few other things coming in there to drink. And when we got there, we, we saw these, this group of Nyala and, and there were several females in this pool. And he, he broke off and just made a beeline coming down the, down the hill towards us and angling towards the water. And Dave says, Hey, we got to go. And it was ditch the camera, leave the tripod, let's go. And so we were hooking it like four or 500 yards down this wash headed towards this pond. We get about 200 yards out. And we're ditching our boots 
um, and just walking in socks, you know, so we're not making any noise. And as we're, we get to the, get to the dam where we can just peek over. He had a, a, a great pair of Leicas that were, um, binos that had the range finding built into them so that he could just be up glassing and boom to tell you the range. And he turned around and he said, he's at 60. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, 60 yards. You know, I shoot, I shoot 60, 70, 80 yards pretty regular, but 60 this is not what you want to do. That's not, even though you can shoot an arrow that far, that's not really why I signed on to be a bow hunter. I signed on to be a bow hunter to get as close as I possibly could. You with me? I'm with you. So I look at him and I'm like, man, can we get any closer? And he, so we start creeping and I mean, creeping like when his head's down drinking and then he picks his head up, his head stays bobbing, doing the bobblehead thing. So we're, we're creeping up, creeping up. We get closer to the dam and there was one tree that was in between us that had a low, a low branch. And he actually picked his head up and he started walking around the pond towards us. And he was 37. Dave told me, he said, 37. I said, 37 is a lot better than 60. I said, you know, <laughs> I, I roll my sight over, you know, to, to just past 35, stopped it right there and drew back. And I had to kind of squat just a little bit to make it under this limb to where I could see good. I knew I wouldn't hit it with my arrow, but just to have a good line of sight and just touched it off and, and to watch that arrow sail. And because it was, it was early morning, it was you know, nine or nine fifteen in the morning and just to watch that arrow sail through the, the shadows and into that pond and, and hit him was just, it was just amazing. And, you know, all of my animals, they, they fell to one arrow. I was, I was very proud of that. That's that awesome. Fact. Um, so there's one arrow each. Um, I, I didn't have to turn any, uh, you know, use, use up my quiver on any of them. Now, the, now I broke several of them and, and we'll, we'll dive off right here. If you want to, to, to the arrow setup. Um, I, I like to shoot hundred grain heads. Now, um, you could shoot a heavier head, but if you go into, if you, it's, it'd be like if you were, um, you know, trying to find something in a sporting goods store, what are you going to be able to find? The 175 grain head that you that you special bought and took took you a month and a half to get from a supplier, or a hundred grain head that any archery shop is going to have on the shelf. Probably the latter. Yeah, yeah. So, I've, I took hundred grain heads, but I doctored my arrows all up. Um, so I went with uh, with a 250 spine arrow, uh, a Black Eagle Rampage. They have a 50 grain half out that they use and i put a 50 grain weight behind it so i had a hundred i had a hundred grains in the end of the arrow and a hundred grain head which gave me 200 grains up front Whew. okay 18 percent front of center and they weighed in with a lighted knock at 550 grains that, 549 549 550 yeah they were right in there so that's what I took. And I was really probably over arrowed. Um, but I knew I was going to be shooting. I sh- I sh- um, they were 
three of us that I know, um, myself and Frank and, and Jay, all shot the Rage Tripan. I feel like I could have got away with a little bit lighter arrow if I had chosen a different broadhead, uh, you know, a smaller um, two-blade, like a solid or uh, even a dirt nap. Right. Um, but I, I just wanted to have that extra weight because there's just no – there's no replacement for, for having that freight train coming, you know, uh, having that big. And, you know, I, I shot, um, I did shoot at a, at a spring buck. Um, a spring buck was actually the first animal I killed. And it, you know, you don't, you just don't get close to those guys. They're, they're called spring buck for a reason. They spring <laughs> into action. Uh, so, you know, Dave said he's at these 60, 60 yards. And I'm like, Holy junk, you know, 60 yards. And he's it, just, it's as close as we can get. So I shot and, by the time my era got there, like he was in a, he was in another province. I mean, he, he was gone. He was down by the coast sipping a pina colada. Um, <laughs> cause he wasn't standing there waiting on that era, you know, <laughs> that's when he was not there. And he, he, he says, I said, how fast is your bow shooting? I said, about two sixty. He said, how big is your era? I said, it's five fifty. He said, why? You know, why aren't you shooting a, a 400? I'm like, cause I, Everything I read says be prepared. Come here with heavy stuff. Yeah. He said, he said, no, no, no. He said, most of the stuff. He said, you like. He said, if you shoot an eland, he said, you need you need that. You need five hundred or more and a two blade broadhead for an eland. He says, but you really only you have to pick your shot. You have to shoot them quartering away in the crease, going up into the you know into the vitals, and you need twelve to fourteen inches of penetration. He said, that's all you're going to get. That's all you need. You don't have to shoot through one. Um, so, you know, it was like that for, for, for everything. Um, Dad, the, so you, uh, you, you could get away with a good, you know, a moderate to moderate heavy whitetail setup. It sounds like what you're saying. Exactly. I mean, Dave said his arrows were, I mean, he hunts there all the time. I mean, it, it, I wasn't home good. And he was sending me pictures of a bush buck that he had killed uh, and a, a diker that he got his son on. And so, I mean, he's, I said, you just got through hunting with me for a week and you're taking your time off and you're going hunting with your kids. He said, yeah. So, I mean, he, he lives it. He does it all the time. And he shoots a 430, 425, 430 grain arrow is, is what he shoots all the time. Um, so any, anything in the whitetail setup, I would say a 400 grain would be, you know, that's what I would be my minimum, but. Anything from 400 to five, five and a quarter would be more than sufficient, provided you team it with the right broadhead. You don't want something that's going to cut a big chunk like I had, um, you know, unless you got the, unless you got the arrow that's going to sure. put it through there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, when you go, make sure that you got plenty of broadheads, plenty of rebuild kits, plenty of arrows, because, uh, you know, there's no stores. Right. There's, there's there's no five and dimes down there to go pick up anything. So, you, and that's another thing. Frank and I, we shoot the same arrows. I build them both identical. He's a 29 inch. I'm a 28 and a half. So I split the difference. My arrows are a touch long. His are a touch short. It all works out. Um, and we can share if we get in a pinch. So we we're able to, to do all of that stuff. I do all the bow work. So I know where every bow shooting. I know it's been, it's been tuned and that's a big thing. Make sure it's tuned before you go, make sure you're shooting, you know, bullet holes through paper and you're grouping a bear shaft or with your field point and all that good stuff. Because once you get there, there's no, you know, 
there's no archery shops. I didn't pass a single one. Right. So, so. well, so let's, let, how does this conversation translate, uh, you know, a 400 and something grain arrow to the zebra, which you, you, you made a, uh, a point of illustrating needed something heavier. Yeah. Like those things that the, the Delta, I mean, what it is, the, the, the paunch of, of these animals. Okay. Their stomachs are so big. This is, this is what the vitals are. The, I, when I looked at, started looking at them, I was looking at where the diaphragm connected to the rib cage. And if I said, they all look like a white tail on the inside. Why is the vital so far forward? And then I started looking at the stomachs. The stomachs are so big to take the poor nutrients from the grasses and stuff that they eat and digest it into something that they can use. They have to have these big, huge stomachs. So the wildebeest had it. The zebra had it. So these, these big grass bags, you know, that they're, that they're filling up, it, what it does is it pushes the diaphragm up toward the center of, of, of the front of the chest and it makes a bow out of it, oh, you know, yeah. and, and so it pushes it up. So if you shoot behind the shoulder on these animals, you get, you go through the ribs, you go through the diaphragm, then you go through the gut, then you go through the diaphragm, and then you go through the ribs on the other side. So you're not really going through the lungs because the lungs are pushed up and forward and out of the way. So the diaphragm can come around. Oh man, that's cool. See that. So that's, that's when you kind of tie in this back to a previous conversation, this is where you're getting at with, with preparing before you get there. Right. Right. It, and, and knowing where you're, you know, where the vitals are on all these different things is, is paramount. And, and that's something that, that you can talk about with your pH. I had, I had taken, I bought a book that showed all of that stuff. Okay. And then I just took pictures of the pages to have in my phone so I could reference them anytime we were in the blind together. And, and I pretty much had them committed to memory. If you can't go wrong with straight up, it felt on a broadside shot, straight up the front leg, one third up. Okay. No more than, no more than a half up because the leg bones actually go from where the elbow is below the deltoid muscle. Mm-hmm. They actually go forward almost to the front, the the front of the show. I mean, the the very front of the animal where the the base of the neck is. And then the shoulder blade comes back at about a 45 degree angle. So it makes a pocket there right over the deltoid that that's, that's where you, that's where you got to go. So, and, and the zebra is, is a really cool animal because if you, if you look at many pictures of them, they have a triangle, they have a, a black or either a white triangle, depending on which which way they're striped, um, that's over the deltoid. I see that now. And if you shoot them in the triangle, they're not going to go far. That and is so, so cool. So, uh, you know, having that zebra come in, we had lechway, baboons, gimsbuck, and then the zebra pop in and eat. And we wanted to take I wanted to take a zebra from a little girl. And I wanted to take an old, old, the oldest zebra that we could find. So there were, I think there were four, four, five, a couple of them didn't come in. So there was, I think, three in front of us on the video. You can see the three in front of us. One, a little bit smaller. You can see the, the mane is a little bit shorter. She grabs a mouthful of hay and she turns and looks at us. She must have seen me in the blind as I was getting ready to draw. And she books out of there and she opens up that old mare 
that was that was right there on on the other side of her, and I just poured the coals to her right there, and it went, it hit her right in that triangle, and before we could even turn around uh, and do a post grip on the video, the landowner who was up on the mountain, he was up, you know, a thousand, two thousand feet above us on the mountain, watching us in the binoculars all morning, and he called Dave's phone and I said, Dave, Brian's on the phone. You, you know, just see what he's got to say. And I could hear him in the background going, you know, she's went running towards the pond and she didn't make it a hundred yards. So <laughs> that was very refreshing to, uh, That's to know awesome. that, that, that she was down and, and we, you know, we came out and filmed the, filmed the track and went right over there to her. And like I said, it's a whole nother appreciation to, to put your hands on those animals. And, and that was the other thing we did our own tracking. Um, I was very much a part of the, of the track. Uh, Dave allowed me to, to do as much as I could do. And, you know, we, we were tr- tracking other animals for other, other people at some, at a couple of points through the, through the week. And we were doing it just like I would back home. You get to a thicket, one would go around one side and one would go around the other side. Where's, where's the blood? Oh, I got it over here. And then we, we get back on it and go. So they, they do the same things we do. And I, I'll say it, you know, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or any of us, but I've traveled and done this enough to know that if you're a successful whitetail hunter in the Southeast, you can go anywhere in the world and be successful hunter. It's, it just, it's normal stuff for us, but you'd be surprised at the people who have difficulty with it. I mean, it, I got I got a call from Dave of, of after a little while after I was back, and he said I guided a guy that came with a three seven five H and H, and he couldn't even hit paper at a hundred yards. He said I could hit it, but he couldn't hit it, and it's just a you know guy develops a bad flinch. Sure. Um, so it, we take a lot of things for granted, and, and and we take it seriously, and they they understand that when you're when you owe it to the game, when you when you respect the game, then. You get you get a lot more credence from them because I'll tell you a, a PH or any guide they can be difficult, you know if they don't. Let's let's face it if you if you tick them off, they'll just take you for a long walk every day, and you won't see anything. So that that positive attitude, that uh, establishing a good relationship, I'm not saying you have to kiss anybody's behind, okay, but. You need to be a fun person to be around, and you need to, to <laughs> develop some common ground. Sure, you know, Connect and not be over overbearing with them. Yeah, because they're doing their best for you, and if you come off, you know, in a bad way to them, that they, they'll have their way to get to get revenge on you. I promise you. So, we it was we had a great time. I mean, he he said he's guided guys that uh, have shot one animal in seven days, and we shot we shot nine. So. What, what more could you ask for? That's awesome, dude. That's that's <laughs> that's incredible. I, I'm envious in in the in the best of uh, fashions that somebody can be envious. I'm envious of you and that experience. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it one day, but this is uh, making it worse. You know, I've I've got such a desire to go so many different places that I have to like hone in on one and start with one in 2019. Yeah. I'm going after elk with my uncle in Colorado, yeah. Yeah. And, but I feel like that's going to open up the floodgates and every year I'm going to end up making a trip somewhere. 
Well, yeah, you have to. If you don't start, if, if you don't start doing things, then, you know, I was just thinking the other day, you know, I've shot antelope, I've shot elk, I've shot mule deer, I've shot whitetail, uh, turkeys, all with the bow, and then, you know, coyotes. You know, that's, that's basically what we have. That's all we have, you know, opportunities at for the most part. So you get into your sheep and goats, and, and that, that gets really expensive. But for just about my, my trip for elk in Idaho is about what I paid for my trip to South Africa. You know, minus airfare, you can't hold airfare against the hunting trip. I mean, you have to get wherever you're going to get, uh, whether it's in a car uh, or on an airplane. You have to travel. So that's a that's just a, a thing. But it, it, you'd be surprised. It's it's much more affordable. The dollar goes a long way over there. Um, and, you know, having some negotiating power with with taking some cash never hurts. Um, you know, when you when you start laying out some greenbacks and uh, they, they you know, there's some prices that can be negotiated on a little bit, you know, maybe not everything and maybe not to the point that you would like it to be. But. At the same time, the, the outfitter's got to, you know, he's got bills to pay. He's got to keep keep people employed. He's got uh, to, you know, w- when you're having things like an open bar and uh, and three meals a day, it, you know, it's expensive to to provide that for uh, you know a big group sure. of guys. Sure, sure. <laughs> Especially the uh, open bar. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so we're we're very quickly approaching an hour, and I am I am convinced that if I don't put the brakes on somewhere I'm going to end up talking your ear off and you're never going to come back on the show. So I want to, I want, this is a good stopping point. I want, I'm going to force myself to stop here, but I end every podcast with a similar question. Typically speaking, it's a very, um, uh, broad question, but I'm going to make this one a, a narrow one for you. Are you ready? Ready. Looking back on your African trip, if you had to give one piece of advice to your to, to the people listening to this podcast that would have made that trip either more enjoyable or uh, provided a convenience that you didn't think of ahead of time, what one piece of advice would you give somebody? Man, that's tough. Hey, man, I, I got to stick you so stick you with. I know, I know. <laughs> um, other than. It's, I can answer it two ways. Either I wish I had taken my family. Okay. Which is not a that would have made it a lot more enjoyable. It would have you know broadened uh, my family's horizons a significant amount. But uh, uh, on the if if I could not have done that, I would have done it sooner. Okay. I wouldn't have waited till till I was you know, dang near retirement age before I did it. That's awesome, man. So anybody who's listening, start saving, start pinching pennies. Derek has made it very clear that this is a very uh, accomplishable uh, trip if you're willing to be diligent about it and put in your your uh, put put the effort in to to get what you what you want from the trip. Derek, if you'll hang on one second, I'm gonna close this out, but I want to chat with you afterwards. Perfect. Guys, this is awesome. I, I, I know that uh, in past weeks I told you that we were going to be expanding the the content, and this is exactly what I meant. We are going to start featuring hunts that uh, might not be the, the common thing you hear on podcasts, but that's okay because it means it's going to be entertaining. 
I am thrilled to have uh, checked Africa off the list. Uh, hopefully we can uh, have Derek back on when he returns, and I have a feeling it, that probably will happen in, in the near future. But uh, if you like the podcast, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Like us on Facebook, Instagram, and don't forget to ask uh, to, to ask permission to join our closed group, Chasing Tall Tales. That's a, a small little community that I'm building. It's, it's basically a listener group for the podcast, and I vet everyone that comes in there. We have some really awesome conversations. We help people advance towards their passions and dreams, and I hope that you spend the next moment you're off or, or, or away from work in the outdoors chasing your dreams. And until next time, y'all be good.